Welcome to Art Talks. This is Richard Codd, the host of Art Talks, and I'd like to thank you for joining us here today on KZMU. And in case you're wondering where you found us, we're at 90.1 and 106.7 on your FM dial. You can also hear us through the internet, kzmu.org. On today's show, we have uh, a solid lineup. Uh, You must know that the Moab Music Festival, it actually started today. And we're lucky enough, you can imagine that they're running all around putting on these different events. And we're lucky enough to have with us Leslie Tompkins, who is the artistic director. And she's going to be here today to tell us about some of the concerts, some of the artists, and what we can look forward to over the next uh, couple of weeks. So welcome. Thanks for coming today. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, thrilled Leslie. to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So um, l- let's, let's jump right in. Uh, tell me, um, this is what, the 31st, right? Yes. And, and you've, you are one of the co-founders. I am. I'm to start first. Uh, tell me, how did it get started? Okay. Um, well, I, um, I came here on a vacation, and I was so smitten with the rocks mm-hmm. that I, uh, I wanted to be, come back as often as possible. And also, I found them incredibly moving and so beautiful in and possessing this unbelievable energy. And somehow the idea came into my head that um, a way that I could participate with that beauty Mm. or enhance it and experience it all at once was to do what I knew how to do or know how to do that is beautiful, which is to make music. Mm -hmm. So I had this crazy idea to combine the two. Mm -hmm. And um, I was here with the music director, Michael Barrett, and we had been talking about um, starting a festival somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been to many as a a performer and so forth. And so I just blurted out, why don't we do it here? it was yeah. such a beautiful spot. We it seemed like there, were, you know, there's this beautiful little hall in town, um, yeah. and there were a lot of tourists at that time. There were a lot of European tourists, and um, it just sort of seemed like a good idea. Well, uh, and here it is, 31 years later. Remarkably so. Yeah. Uh, so, how many uh, musicians do you have this year? We have. An abundance of musicians this year. Mm. We have 52. Mm. Um, some, I believe, 14 of them are part of the Hot House West Swing Orchestra. Oh, will yeah. Be making their festival debut uh, out at Sorrel River Ranch. And so that's a large ensemble um, that are going to focus on the music of Django Reinhardt. Yeah, I was listening to a little. In fact, I think I have one of their songs oh, queued cool. up. Uh, but m- maybe we'll get a chance to hear that. So 52 musicians. Um, what comes first, the music or the musicians? Like, do you find out what musicians are available and then you figure out what you want to play? So, or does it go both ways? That's a terrific question, and it, it does go both ways. I have to say that as the music director, Michael does a large, you know, most of the heavy lifting in that department, and it's a combination of things 
Um, so you find out who's around, who you might want to have, who worked out from a previous year, uh, and then you decide on um, what material fits the, that particular mm. group of people. Or if there's something you're dying to do in terms of a work, then you think who would be the perfect person for that. And so it's kind of an amalgamation of, of all of that. And very often people will have projects that they're doing that you know they can bring to the table. And so it's, it's kind of a, an alchemy that occurs. Do, do you start with an overall theme or idea, like is this year water? That's a, real, that's a terrific question, mm. too. And I'll try not to say that after every question. Okay. But these are good questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so this year for the first time, um, we're, we're having a, a theme kind of weave throughout the, um, the festival. It's mostly this year is a uh, water as an inspiration. The thinking is, and it, I have to say, it's the beginning of a two-year project. Next year will be a real focus on the Colorado River specifically. Um, oh. But we're, we're opening the um, festival with a screening on Wednesday at Star Hall mm -hmm. of a beautiful um, documentary called River by Jennifer Petum. And uh, she starts, she seems to have a similar artistic view in terms of combining natural beauty with music. So the oh. entire film opens with um, the Australian, members of the Australian Chamber Orchestra tuning up and music plays a huge part in, in the film. But the film is really an examination of rivers, you know, and their majestic beauty and the plight, you know, oh, mention of the plight that they are experiencing now. And that's when, that's Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yes. Okay. Um, and I should be able to tell you the time, but if you look at our uh, website, moabmusicfest.org, it will tell you, I believe it's seven, but that's um, I, I, I was looking earlier and I thought it did say seven. Okay, and, great. And I'll, yes, I think it is. Oh, good. So. All right. Um, and it's free. I want to say it's free, so just come on over if you're interested. Um, John Weissite will be joining us, who is the uh, co-founder of Living Rivers, and he is our consultant for this whole um, look at the rivers and uh, helping us construct a, a response to the situation uh, that the Colorado is facing right now. Okay. How many how many concerts will you have? So we have all together... Uh, it goes from today to the September 17th, I think it was, something like that. Um, and I know you have venues all over the place. Yes, we do. Um, it's 20, I'm trying to look at this. And, uh, I know it's, it's a full plate. <laughs> it's 23 concerts, and those include our musical raft trips. So today's... Uh, first event really is a musical raft trip uh, down Westwater that departed this morning. So that's another um, combination of music and a different kind of, you know, aspect of the beauty and the river. And those are, was that a, is that a multi-day trip? It is a multi-day trip. Right, I know there were some of those. There are some of those, yeah. There's mm -hmm. another one at the end of the festival that um, is doing the San Juan River. And right. so if anybody's interested in hearing some fabulous musicians, um, Boyd Meets Girl is the name <laughs> of the duo. Who, um, who, who arranges those for you locally? Yes, we have outfitters, um, CFI and Sherry Griffith. 
Oh, okay. Are the outfitters, yes, we would never um, even begin to pretend that we would be professional river outfitters. Make no mistake about it. Yeah. There are professional river outfitters uh, doing the trip. Yeah. Trips. So. Um, and it's, so you do the concerts. I know there are some in the grottos, and and on the river. You were just saying on the on the on the boats. Um, and you have to lug all that equipment onto the boats, uh, right? It's, it, I have this image in my head of Woody Allen playing the cello in the, in the marching band. Yes. That's, what, that's how I envision you <laughs> folks going down the river, you know. That's a pretty apt um, analogy there. Um, yeah, actually, the operations people are... Uh, um, I I often say that they're the real virtuosos. We have a fabulous musicians, but to from an operations perspective, to be able to pull off this um, many outdoor, other, you know, varying day to day venues um, is is really it's insane actually, and it's a real tour de force to be able to do it. N- nobody does anything like this. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, if, I mean, I, you carry that whole big piano out to where you play? or no, do you, Not personally, but... No, no, no. You, don't make, <laughs> you don't make my friend poor Michael Edwards carry this stuff, do you? Well, yes, Michael Edwards is one of the people if, that's if, responsible if for getting it down there, and he has a very hearty group of people with him. And they leave early in the morning, they take the legs off the piano, they wrap it up, they put it on the... the bow of the boat and they head on down to the grotto Um, then they haul it in to the grotto itself uh, set it up level it make sure it looks like it belongs there and that it's set even in the spot that sounds the best and all of that and then bring the whole shebang back. Uh, Do you go to the same grottos every year? Yes. So you know what to expect? Well no. No? Okay. (laughs) Actually. Okay. because that particular spot is um, at the bottom of a, a pour over, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. um, the landscape in, in there changes can change drastically from year to year. Oh, so interesting. this year we've seen evidence of where the river high water mark was. There's a lot of mud, there's a lot. Um, and in the years that we've been going, you know, there was a beautiful tree that used to be on the side. It's fallen over now, and oh. things change very much from year to year. Um, and we're not, uh, you know, we don't want to leave a mark or alter it mm. in any mm. way, uh, in any permanent way to make the event happen. So it's very much deal with what's there, and it takes a lot of creativity on the part of the production team. Oh, I can only imagine yeah. what, what, it's, what it's like. Do you do you get do you ever get any like seasick musicians like coming down? Do you, can you just see the cello player or the violin, you know, like getting seasick? I <laughs> maybe, um, maybe maybe if, maybe I'm yeah. well. If that were to be anyone, it would be me because you mentioned the word sailboat, and I'm already seasick. But, <laughs> um, but actually, you are touching on an important point actually about the musicians because, um, you know, back in the days when everything was extreme something we coined the phrase extreme chamber music which seems like a tremendous oxymoron but Mm -hmm. actually um 
particularly for the grotto, you, you know, you leave early in the morning, not as early as the piano. Uh, you go down into the grotto. There's no private space to warm up or change or, you know, no temperature controlled environment. And there's a, uh, you know, a, a groover to use. You don't have a backstage area in which to make yourself beautiful. And Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it, um, and Oh, for a lot of performers, they it's very hard for them to adjust to that lack of um, sanctuary before they actually go out on the stage. And so for for the grotto, we're sitting there listening to our colleagues warm up and listening to them perform. And then yeah. you grab your instrument and maybe play something very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. It, so not everybody is fond of doing that and thrives in that situation. Hmm. So do, do you do you? check with them first do you say hey you got any issues with this yes actually and um it is it is a you know it's important to let people know what they're in for before they say yes um and many people find it incredibly moving to be able to play music in that setting but there are other people you know one time uh, well more than once it's rained and somebody's dress got wet and they were crying on the way home and um you know they're Mm. used to performing at lincoln center and and you know big halls like that and your your dress doesn't get wet on your way you know at your concert (laughs) yeah so and so tell me um about some of the artists that that you have um who who are the superstars well um or do you or or is yeah tell me about them that's a great Mm-hmm. I was going to say not say every you, time that's a great question, but actually you've hi- you've touched on something that's important to us. Um, right. We uh, outside of a headliner or somebody like that, we generally try to have um, musicians who are all in their own rights spectacular artists and performers, not highlighting uh, one over another. So each one in their own way is a star, you know, mm-hmm. and doing all kinds of amazing things. We have members of quartets. We have up-and-coming uh, soloists and chamber musicians, uh, people who are going to all different kinds of festivals and everything. Um, but one of the main focuses that we have also are on our uh, composer performers. Mm-hmm. And we have we've have a lot of emphasis now on composition. Uh, we have two world premieres this year both by composer performers. One is Timo Andres, who um, is a pianist, Mm -hmm. and the other is by Pius Chung, who's a marvelous percussionist specializing in marimba. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, So you don't have, well, too many prima donnas? Oh, I didn't say that. That you... (laughs) Oh, oh. <laughs> well, well. Hopefully, they're not listening. But no, no it no. must it must be tough balancing balancing all of these issues. The music, some are staying in town, some are probably out of town. How do they get to this venue? So you have somebody has to coordinate all that. We have a tremendous staff yeah. um, and volunteers, right? And volunteers, yes, and housing donors, uh, without whom we wouldn't be able to do the festival. Um, it is a year-round endeavor to put on the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, people work very hard, and there's, as you just said, a million logistics. Um, as far as the performers go, I think um, there's one thing that I find that people aren't necessarily aware of in terms of if they don't attend a lot of live music, like chamber music, is unlike theater, where 
you're seeing a kind of a produced thing that's happened many, 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 many times in right. the same way, you know, over a run. Right. But every time you come to one of our concerts, you're seeing that particular group of people, for the most part, perform that piece together for the first time, mm -hmm. specifically for this setting. And um, that is, people have various degrees of nerves um, around that, and you feel sure. that you're on the line all the time. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. How does this festival compare with some, some other regional festivals? Like I'm, I'm, Colorado has their big bluegrass festival over at Telluride. Um, is this similar to other concerts around the Intermountain West or or is this different the way you package your 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 concerts um, the thing that we have to offer here uh, that really no place in the country has is this spectacular landscape and the combination mm -hmm. of the landscape and the music mm -hmm. um, the concerts are programmed with the specific location in mind, uh, what would sound great in that space, uh, wind instruments would sound terrific outside in a bigger space, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so while you might hear many of our artists at other chamber music festivals around the country mm. or sometimes mm. the world, you, the, thing, the reason to come here to see them is to see them in combination with the spectacular setting. Mm. Um, so, and the other thing is that chamber music uh, festivals are a niche market. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who adore them and go all over attending them, and we've been lucky to have some come to ours. Um, you don't find the same degree of attendance as you would at a bluegrass festival or something along those lines. Or like uh, Grateful Deadheads, who you know follow your. I did your notice that were I there a couple of those. <laughs> I have to confess, I did park in a parking space that was designated for Deadheads only. So. Ah, <laughs> you caught me. So, <laughs> so uh, how how what's the impact on Moab for this event? Well, um, since the, we. And I'm talking economically. Economically, like, yeah, we yeah. do bring people in from out of town. Um, my latest understanding is that about half of our audience are from out of town. Mm -hmm. So you have people coming in, you know, staying, coming to restaurants, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and we have a longer festival this year and last than we have in previous years. So that's an economic impact spread out over a longer period of time right. for this annual festival. I think one of the... Um, the area in which we have a huge impact and is sort of unseen, perhaps, is in our education outreach programs. I was going to ask you that about what are the direct benefits to, to Moab, not looking at, uh, say, financial matters, but how does it benefit the local community members? So from the beginning, um, we made it a point to go into the schools um, to spend time with the students. Mm -hmm. um, at the time that we started the festival, there was a very robust strings program. And so we went in at that time on a daily basis and worked mm -hmm. with the string class and had them play on our community concert and that sort of thing. Um, we have continued to have um, a strong educational presence. I was just going to say that 
kind of thing evolved into having an artist in residence for six months of the year. For several years, we had that. At this point, we have uh, the main focus of our education is around winter lewd, mm. uh, which it happens in late January, early February. Mm. Uh, we bring in ensembles, professional ensembles, to work with kids. This last year, we had the Allison Shearer uh, Quartet, which is a jazz ensemble. They'll be coming back, actually. Mm. Um, so they went into the high school to work with the jazz band in the high school. We had uh, classical teaching artists also who went in to work with the strings and with the Beacon After School Strings program. Mm. And we also um, have uh, offer things for adults, non-professionals, so to, to work on chamber music pieces with professional coaches. Okay. So, uh, and um, each year when the festival, the annual festival is happening, we have school assemblies for every level of student in Grand County which we bring to the schools at no charge because mm. we want to share, you know, b- share what we're doing and who's yeah. doing it. And we've had some really interesting um, people to to share with the students. It's kind of grade appropriate, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So, so they get a chance to meet and talk with the musicians. Hey, I play the clarinet and you play the clarinet you know things like that are there lo- those kinds of opportunities there there can be right. and um also they they get uh, some a portion of the some of the performances that we'll be giving it at our concerts right and then answer um ask questions answer questions so the idea is to help people see you know how who are these musicians what do they do yeah, what yeah. are they thinking about what can you do yeah uh, yeah one of our composer performers jessica meyer is a, a violist and she specializes in helping people who have no previous experience composing to compose things she actually came for one winterlude so she shares about you know you can do this at home on mm-hmm. your whatever instrument yeah. or yeah. anyway so no i i think it's it's terrific that, and it's, you know, Moab, Mo, I say this all the time, Moab is so lucky. We have the Moab Music Festival. We have the Moab Folk Festival that just ended. Yeah. Um, lots of activities, the Art Festival, everything at the mark. The, so so yeah. we do have a, a lot of programs for the community to get out there and enjoy. Yeah, the free concert series. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. So um, how do people find out more about uh the, the festival and where do they go to get tickets okay um, please visit our website moabmusicfest.org you'll see a description of all the concerts and you can buy tickets there uh, the box office is in our office 58 east 300 south and that's open at times during the day it's 259-7003 if you care to call for the uh, older people who like the phone (laughs) people like me so i want to thank you so much for coming today leslie and how about we we go out with um a song by the hot house west uh string orchestra so let's see what they say you're listening to kzmu and that was the hot house west string orchestra who will be playing at the moab music festival and i think they're up at at sorrel river ranch and that would be a wonderful concert to go to so um 
check them out if you get the chance. Um, you're listening to KZMU at 90.1 and 106.7. And you can also stream us at kzmu.org. And you're listening to Art Talks. Well, that was uh, Leslie Tompkins, who was here with the Moab Music Festival, telling us all about that. And next up is um, an interview I recorded last week um, with two artists who are here with the Moab Arts Reuse Residency Program. Uh, The month-long residency, uh, they invite artists from all over the world to spend one month in Moab um, creating art from the items found in our waste stream. So I don't know if you're going to see that old chicken bone that you threw out last night after dinner, but I don't think it's that kind of trash they're talking about. But uh, anyway, uh, the, the, the artists this year are Renee uh, Reisman and Tom Hansel. Uh, Reisman, uh, she, she's a teacher at the University of California, Pepperdine. And her work focuses on infrastructure and public policy and the environment and how these kinds of city services um, uh, relate to our daily lives. And she tries to, to um, explain some of those and talk about how they affect us through her art. And then Tom Hansel is a filmmaker from West Virginia. And he's uh, also an author and an artist. And he's already held some workshops here at the Mark over the last couple of weeks uh, for his program. And he's creating short films on uh, waste and art and reuse. And they'll be, he'll be showing uh, the finished films that he's working on in the workshops. Uh, that'll be coming up, I think it's the last evening uh, of his uh, Residency. I think it's August 26, but you could check with the mark on that. Um, so, without further ado, here's my interview with Renee and Tom. Let, let's get this going here. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hey, I had the opportunity to talk to you a few weeks ago, and, uh, or, no, I guess, whatever it was. And I just wanted to check and see uh, how things are going with you in Moab and tell me what, you're, what you are working on. So go ahead, Renee, you go first. Yeah, so I'm working on a series of portraits of our sanitation workers. Um, we're working with Canyon Land Solid Waste Authority, which runs the landfill, the recycling center, um, actually two, two different landfills and a recycling center. Um, so inspired by true crime, like procedurals and podcasts I'm recasting them as detectives in my photos to kind of illuminate the ways that they assist with community safety uh, they handle fire hazards chemical hander- hazards and keep us safe mm-hmm. through the waste they can find evidence and help police uh, solve crimes um, and it maybe will get people thinking about you know, if, if we could make sanitation workers our detectives or train them in forensic science, like maybe mm. police work could look really different. Um, l- let me ask you, what did, what did the mark ask you to do for this project? 
They didn't ask me anything. I sent them this weird proposal that said, I think I learned that sanitation workers collaborate with law enforcement. I am thinking a lot about giving attention to local heroes that we don't Mm -hmm. usually think of as quote unquote heroes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to, it was really important to me that I worked with the staff instead of just grabbing items from the trash and making like a sculptural object. Mm -hmm. And when they said the staff was open to me talking to them and photographing them, um, my proposal seemed to get accepted and now I'm here. Okay. And um, what about you, Tom? What, um, tell me first just a little bit about yourself and Renee will will ask you to do the same. Um, What drew you to Moab and what are you working on? Well, the idea of the Moab reuse residency is really exciting Mm -hmm. Uh, for me personally each of those three words is exciting (laughs) my lab a very impressive place spectacular landscape great recreation deep history have have either of you been here before i had yeah okay i actually went to arches national park but i didn't really go to the town okay so sort of (laughs) okay just wondering yeah, so, and of course, reuse is another exciting mm-hmm. word. It's something I do a lot at home and think a lot about. I've done a number of art projects on waste and reimagining waste. And then a residency, a place where you get to stay in one place and focus on your work. All three were, were um, words that attracted me very much. So that's how I ended up applying for the Moab Reuse Residency. And I'm really honored to be here. The, uh, the mark... Um, it, it is not the only governmental agency that is now uh, wrapped its arms around recycling and what can we do with recycling. Why, why is this kind of activity popular now? Well, I'd say it goes beyond just recycling mm-hmm. and thinking about the waste stream. So, in fact, mm-hmm. the project I'm doing is a series of very short crowdsourced films that are going to be called the Moab Waste Stream. And so the idea is by looking at what happens to waste, you can reimagine how not just to recycle, but to prevent waste to begin with, to reimagine some of the the systems that produce our food Mm -hmm. or our transportation or other products that we use um, to to reduce the amount of waste and, and prevent waste and you know, prevent a lot of the problems that come with the disposal of waste. And so, so that's, um, that's what I think art can do is kind of open up people's ideas to the possibilities, whether it's, you know, looking with, with Renee's project, looking at the sanitation workers and understanding more about the work that they do and increasing the value of that, mm-hmm. to looking at what policies inform um, our food use or even our energy use and even our transportation. How does that how does that impact how we live and mm-hmm. how we relate to this fantastic landscape that's around mm-hmm. Moab? So you think we're past the day where we can just take our trash and bring it out to the next canyon and just kind of throw it in there and not worry about it? I feel like we probably never should have been at that day to begin with. But sadly, that was the way people operated for basically all of time and um, something that was really striking to me we got to go to the Klondike landfill it's about 20 miles away the public doesn't ever get to see it it's where all the household trash goes oh and it's like you know a giant these pits in the desert and 
even though the trash gets buried and covered up, a lot of it can still blow away and come up to the surface. And all the fencing, like the whole perimeter of this landfill was just lined with plastic bags that got oh. stuck in the fence. Yep. And I'm guilty. I use plastic bags like... I save all we of them. All, we and, all do, yeah. yeah but, oh, yeah. you know, I have a big... At home, and I think everyone does this, you have your bag of bags, and I use them as trash can liners. And Exactly. But, but just seeing, like, this... I forgot how, how large this facility was, but just, like, eight acres of fencing filled with plastic bags, to me, is, like, that's just a small town in America where this doesn't biodegrade, this gets thrown out, but it still is blowing around and still in our environment. And now I'm just like extra disgusted with hmm. our plastic bag use. I've heard them referred to um, as urban tumbleweeds. Yes, yeah. that's the a they like great that. image. And, and I think it's, it's easy to kind of see them just as a visual blight. But my previous project, before this was working with plastic bags to raise awareness of microplastic pollutions, particularly in the water supply. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that basically microplastics are everywhere. Mm -hmm. They've been found in every single surface water sample, at least in the, the high country of Western North Carolina where I come from. I suspect because that's a relatively pristine area that they would be in other parts of the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. They've been found in human blood. Um, they are everywhere. I now, I don't want to say that to shock people because we nobody knows what the health impacts are. That's still right. ongoing research. But the fact is, it's a it's a major. It, it's not just a um, visual issue. It's a health public health issue mm -hmm. potentially. So, R Renee, tell me about some of uh, some of your writings mm -hmm. that that you do. Let's let's talk a, a little bit about about them and. Yeah, so I'm a contributing writer to an art blog called Hyperallergic. Mm -hmm. um, I also am a sta part-time staff writer at 66 Magazine, which is like design and interiors. And my writing is very complementary to my art practice. I'm a journalist. I am very experienced and comfortable interviewing strangers and cold calling and doing deep research. And so when I do my art projects, I'm what's called a relational artist. So my medium, instead of painting or sculpture, is people mm -hmm. and building a relationship with people. Mm -hmm. And so I never really do the same project twice, but um, all those journalistic skills that I've sharpened goes into talking to people and making art with them and building this trust and hoping that they'll find me friendly enough that they'll want to talk to me. Um, I did at least get one person at the... Uh, recycling center who didn't want to participate in the project so mm -hmm. I still run into those kind of problems but um, I've talked to 11 people and I've uh, out of I don't know a staff of maybe 30 or something so I've so many people have welcomed oh, me good. in Moab good. at in the project so I'm really excited good. to share their stories there's always somebody that just for whatever reason yeah I mean it's just you know working with people is unpredictable yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, the point is not I'm not here to like push my own views on people sure. and so I talk to them and I hear what they have to say and then I share their perspective and share their stories and it really doesn't matter what your background is I'm interesting interested in telling your story tell me a little bit about um, your interest in infrastructure yeah which now Joe Biden's running around the country talking all about his infrastructure well project. In infrastructure is also a big 
part of climate change. Um, mm. These fires in Hawaii that we just had yeah. started by down power lines. Um, I live in Los Angeles, and our biggest fire of the last five years was also started by SoCal Calm Edison. Right, or, right. Uh, by down power lines, outdated infrastructure that breaks. So we have to repair infrastructure and maintain it. And a lot of money doesn't go to it because if it's not broken, we don't even think about it. And it's like, why would I spend millions of dollars on something that's not broken? Well, right. I mean, to repair, did, it, it, I, can you just imagine if, unfortunately, if you're the mayor of, of a city or the town engineer and you say, you know, our, our pipes, our water pipes are now reaching 80 years old. And here's my plan to replace them, and it's going to cost about oh, 822 million dollars, you know, over several. They don't want to hear that. No one wants to spend that money until maybe those pipes, because they're 80 years old, they have lead in them. Because back then we didn't know that was harmful, and then suddenly you have children being born with cancer or other health problems that. You know, if you spend the money up front, you can help prevent things like that happen. But well, rather we do, instead of preventive, we just maintain or we just help people after a problem. Um, well, I thought about becoming an urban planner <laughs> instead of an artist, uh, but I decided to approach urban planning and infrastructure through art. So I found a as, way to balance as that. As somebody with their master's in urban planning. Oh, you have one? Yes, oh, I do. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. People told me, they're like, you can get your PhD in urban planning, but you won't get to be artsy. Or you could be artsy and get an MFA, and then you can do art about urban planning. So I was like, okay, let's do the other one. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, probably. But, um, <laughs> So here we are dealing with the waste. Uh, it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog, too, right? How, how do we begin to affect the waste stream that you were talking about, Tom? Yeah, well, I think it starts, um, it starts with the folks that are manufacturing the goods and packaging the goods that we use. Um, of course, consumers have a role to play. Uh, city government has a role to play. Policy has a role to play. Um, and then, of course, waste professionals have a role to play. So I think that all those relationships, getting back to being a, a relational artist, I think are important and, and art can give us a different, different ways to look at them. So for example, I actually think that compared to the small town I come from, Moab's doing a pretty good job because there's a plastic bag ban in effect. Right. Now, I understand there's some some issues with it, some loopholes and things like that. But in general, you see a lot less plastic bags in the creeks and in the watersheds mm. here mm. than I do back in the Blue Ridge of North Carolina. So, huh. so I think that's, that's one very small, but I think important and effective example of how we can get ahead of it, in this case, through local policy and a, and a plastic bag ban, but also through, I think, informing consumers have, has helped that as well. Mm. If people see art that makes them start thinking about the waste, then they might want to start writing the policy or changing the policy. So I think art is still like a really important part of the process, even though people may immediately think it's super, like frivolous or something. But I think we're getting people to want to do the policy changes. No, I, th I, I think that's, that's a good approach because, let's face it, in our homes, we take the empty wrapper we open the, the door and to where the trash can is, throw it into the trash can, 
and then put it out on Tuesday and it's gone. And we don't worry about it or think about it. That's a, that's a tough nut to, to get people to start to rethink. To and, and I think one thing that connects both the project that Renee's doing and the project that I'm doing is that both of us are not kind of coming in with these solutions. We're not, we're not saying y'all need another plastic bag ban or something like that. What right. we're saying is creating art that starts conversations, mm -hmm. that allows space for people to ask the questions of, okay, what else can we do with that, that candy bar wrapper? Or does that candy bar wrapper need to exist in the first place? Is there a different way to package your, your candy bar? Or can we um, either as consumers support alternative packaging or as uh, policymakers make policies that, that encourage that? So, so I think all of that, the, the art isn't necessarily, um, isn't going to make that happen or create magical solutions, but it's going to create a space where some of that can you know this I, I like to think some of these silly analogies how many times do you you order something from amazon <laughs> i'm just right? so you know guilty. where the, you know where you know where this is going and you you, you order a, a new fingernail clipper and you order you know, some of these odds and ends and and it's almost like you see the UPS guy struggling with this big box over his shoulder or her shoulder, you know, and they plop it down, you take it in. I'm exaggerating, of course, but you open it up and there's some paper and maybe some plastic, uh, you know, inflated bags, protecting items that are no bigger than your key fob. <laughs> it's like, why? I actually came across a really interesting, it was, there's a group in southwestern Virginia and they call it the free store where it's basically people bring things to drop off or pick or pick up and they particularly advertised plastic wrap to reduce the waste stream. So they've, oh. um, instead of just throwing that plastic wrap from your Amazon package in the, in the um, trash, there's actually people that need that plastic wrap to ship things, maybe to ship them back to Amazon, I don't know, but to ship things. So they have this store, and they say that's the most popular item. People are every day dropping off plastic wrap, every day picking up plastic wrap, and that way they don't have to have their closet full of it, yeah. like, um, which is what I'm guilty of. But, are um, you plastic wrap like those air bubble yeah, things? Yeah, the bubble wrap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's just kind of expensive if you got to buy it. It is, yeah. <laughs> I always reuse mine, actually, to... Um, I like vintage shopping, and I sometimes resell my clothes online. And I'll, if I, there's an Amazon package, it's like, <laughs> all right. See, I just take those bubble and I just sit there and pop them. You know, like, <laughs> 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 I mean, occasionally I do. <laughs> yeah, but, I've, I have a friend, Gottfried Heider. He's an Austrian artist, but he has worked in America. He did a really fantastic project where he measured the air quality in those Amazon air bubble things. Oh, no, yeah. And he found that it was really really bad quality and it's it's not just air injected into it it matches the air quality in the actual factories so we don't really think of an amazon warehouse as like a coal mine and obviously it's not as toxic right. as that but they're breathing in really bad air and huh. uh from manufacturing and packaging and glues and adhesives and so it's really shocking like just how bad on the body like this mass these warehouse huh. facilities are as well 
Yeah, if one of the things I I think about this whole recycling effort that's underway, I think getting people to recognize that we have an impact on our ecosystems. And we can, even if we do something really small, it's a start. And perhaps that will lead to a willingness to pursue and work on other issues affecting our planet. But, you know, this is a start, what you're doing. Yeah, and bringing voices that are maybe not always heard to the forefront, I think, is a key, and that's what both of our projects are doing. You know, you 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 did some work, Tom, um, on the coal industry and how it's changing and its impacts on communities. You know, here in Moab, uranium w- was the driver for a while, and, and before that, certainly ranching and. Uh, and cattle and but now maybe we were into that time when the industry is gone the uranium and and people had to adapt and you're seeing that and what do you try to capture in those films about that change well I think the in some ways the first step that I try to take is that local people have usually have solutions to hmm. local problems hmm. that if there's a local issue mostly most often the expertise is in that place and in hmm. people who have been in that place and developed places uh, developed relationships with that place sometimes hmm. over generations or even millennia in the case of indigenous people and so that it's important to listen to those voices first as opposed to some of the more formally credentialed experts mm-hmm so I think that's a lot of what I do. I also think that the formally credentialed experts, that they can be very useful, but they often have uh, avenues to get their voices out and have a little more sway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of what I try to do is collaborate with folks who are on the ground, doing the work, trying to make a livable community that they plan to stay in, raise children in, raise grandchildren in, and to to be in it for the long haul and kind of mm-hmm. look at, at long-term place-based solutions, mm-hmm. which are very different depending on which, which place you're in. Oh, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. What, um, since, since you've been here a little while, what do you see as some of the challenges for Moab regarding its waste stream? Is it, is it as simple as saying expand your recycling. Um. Well, for me, I'd say this is where we should listen to the folks who are dealing with it every day. We're, we're mm-hmm. visiting artists, we're certainly observing, but I do right. think that, you know, just to build on what I just said, the folks right. that are at the Canyonland Solid Waste Authority are the experts. The folks mm-hmm. that are picking up the garbage on the, uh, from the sidewalk are, are the experts there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard them say that they need some more capacity Mm-hmm. You know, I think with any getting back to the infrastructure, <laughs> right. with any with any civic that you know having better equipment, having a little more space, having a little more support for staff, all of that, of course, makes things work a little bit more smoothly. How do people find uh, find out about what you're working on? You got, I know you have some workshops coming up and some other activities. Tell me about them and and how people in Moab 
can come out and participate in, in your activities because you would love to have them coming out to these. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. what, what you have anything coming up this yeah, week so, or next week? Um, actually, uh, tonight, uh, which may be past the broadcast date, but every Wednesday in, during the month of August at the Mark, we'll be doing free workshops that are open to the public to create these crowdsourced films. The very last Wednesday, August 30th, at 6 p.m., we'll be screening these crowdsourced films on a screen that I'm making out of material that was recycled from, from the Solid Waste Authority, from the Community oh. Recycling Center. Okay, cool. I'm running a workshop on Tuesday the 22nd. Um, it's actually not fully related to my project, but I'm gonna run a workshop on how to use digital software to learn how to collage. So uh, if you have Photoshop already, we can use that, but um, GIMP, G-I-M-P, it's a free Photoshop kind of open source software. So if you download that, I'll show you how to cut out and isolate images and collage them with different layers digitally. And we'll make postcards in that style. Um, there's a really pretty mural that says like, welcome, greetings from Moab, and it looks like a postcard. Right. So basically that kind of antique uh, 60s postcard style, but digitally. And then once you have those files, you could eventually print it out, mail it to a friend, and tell them all about Moab. And ev even if you don't have much experience it's doing this? It's for complete beginners. Oh, so okay. as long as you have software. Now I can do the demo and you can follow along, but I always encourage people to bring their own laptop and follow along hands-on. And I can mm -hmm. also like walk around the room and give you tips and show you how to, uh, if, you're, if you're having issues, um, I teach digital art at Pepperdine University in USC, so mm -hmm. I, I love teaching people the new software and how to do digital art. It feels very complex, but it's actually not that hard to learn. Let me, uh, we, we, we can segue a little. <laughs> this is community radio. Oh, and just in case you, you just uh, tuned in, you're listening to KZMU uh, 90.1 and 106.7 in the beautiful absolutely drop-dead gorgeous community of Moab, Utah. So, before I had to drop that in, you were just about to say, and I was teasing you, um, I, I, I forget exactly what I was going <laughs> to mention, but anyway. Um, so, you're, you, after you do these workshops that, that we're going to be doing, are you, are you going to are you going to write something up that you can leave or some description of the process that we can take away and revisit at some point or I could record my workshop possibly um, I did want to mention too that the photographs that I'm taking the portraits of the sanitation workers they will be exhibited in the mark uh, gallery which is that main space I think the full month of September so that will be a really wonderful way to see the work that I made while I'm here okay. and see not just pictures of the employees that maybe you even know them because you live around town, right. but all the backdrops I think are really fascinating. You get to see all this equipment up close, compactors, balers, piles of tires, there's like a beautiful juxtaposition between the landscape and the trash. And we learned that in the 80s, Moab was 
landfill was voted the most beautiful landfill in all of America. No way. <laughs> and I, I think my photographs or some of them are going to illustrate that. So I think people really <laughs> will be excited to see I that. I, I think Tom's film will show some of that too. Can, can you just see that as part of our new advertising slogan to visit Moab? Visit Moab, the community with the best or, or the prettiest garbage center. Yeah. It is actually. Impre- all the facilities no. are impressively clean and well run. So. All that's good um, to hear. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, and the, the pieces that I'll leave behind, mm-hmm. they're crowdsourced pieces. So we'll see how how they turn out mm-hmm. because we're I'm working with community members collaboratively to make things. But the idea is that there'll be a piece that the city sustainability department can use for promoting composting or at least to address questions about how you to maybe amplify the composting okay. that's happening here. Okay. There is probably another piece that can be used kind of talking a little bit about the the nuances of the waste stream in Moab as as the Kenyan Land Solid Waste Authority works with it. So I'm going to make those pieces available to the partners that help me help me make them. Okay. And and so that way they'll be returned and also the recycled screen that I'm making I'm, I will leave here if uh, if the Moab if the Mark wants to keep screening things on a recycled screen that that, that will be available. Cool. Well. How do people find out more about the work that you're doing if they want to do some research uh, on their own about about your uh, your activities? How do they how do they find out about you, Renee? I am extremely online. <laughs> okay. So, my name is Renee Reisman, R-E-N-E-E-R-E-I-Z like zebra, M-A-N. That's my social media handles. It's also my website. So you can see not just the stories I'm posting from Moab, but also, you know, the other work I've done in communities. I've worked with the Los Angeles Department of Transportation. I worked in rural, um, the high desert of California, the Antelope Valley. Um, I've worked in rural Oklahoma and rural Nebraska with quilters. So a lot of that is documented on my socials, oh, and okay. I think it's really cool to and, see. And, and you have a lot of nice uh, journal uh, journalistic pieces. Yes, if you yeah, go to my yeah. website, you can find yeah. clips. Uh, th- that's what we call writing samples and pieces that I've okay. written. Yeah, and so um, I would encourage people to do that. I found them really interesting, as I great. as I told you. Yeah. And Tom, how about you? Yeah. No, I also have a website. Okay. So it's tomhansel.net. It's Hansel spelled like Hansel and Gretel, but with two L's. <laughs> so T O M H A N S E L L dot N E T. Um, and yeah, you can see video clips of the documentary films I've made, some of the experimental films I've made, some of the community projects that I've made, some of the sculpture that's been created out of plastic bags and, and things like that, all all on the web at tomhansel.net. What do you think about the uh, artist community here Have in, in Moab? You, you've had a chance to meet some, I'm sure, going through the mark. What, what's yeah, your I feel take? like we've just just kind of dipped our toes, but I've been amazed at how friendly everybody is, open mm-hmm. everybody is, inviting to, you know, come talk to us, come have dinner oh, with good. us, come visit this place, or well, we want to show you the the park. Um, it's been very good. welcoming, and good. so which that's nice a, to hear for a, for a small town. I I wasn't surprised, but for an arts community, sometimes arts communities can be a little 
snarky or competitive or something like that. Oh, it's really nice to, oh. to, to not see Moab's that. artist. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, we're the friend. I knew there would definitely be a lot of like national park kind of art here, yeah. but there's a lot of galleries and uh, beautiful landscapes, beautiful ceramics, even. Mm quirky we met someone who makes book earrings which is really cool um i thought the arts community for a small place is very very strong and vibrant and it's really exciting and i wish i could be here longer so i could see more of it and see other events come by well hopefully you'll get a chance to do that (laughs) well i want to thank you so much for joining us here today on art talks i hope you enjoyed it as well I want to thank you so much. Wish you the best with the rest of your residency program. And I'll be talking about it, I'm sure, at some point when it's done here in a couple of weeks for a future show. So thank you so much for coming, and we'll hear from you later. Thanks for hosting us. Thank you so much for inviting us. Well, that was my interview with Tom uh, Hansel and Renee Reisman who are the Moab's uh, Artists in Residency. So I want to thank them for coming on the show today, as well as Leslie Tompkins from the Moab Music Festival. So, uh, and to you, the listeners, I I thank you for joining us. I hope you'll uh, tune in again next month on September 18th for the next edition of Art Talks.